and welcome to the Data IQ podcast. I'm David Reed, bringing you 30 minutes of interviews and insights from the data and analytics industry. Coming up, I'll be talking to Tom Smith, Managing Director of the ONS Data Science Campus. He'll be telling me about the vision for data science in government and how it is driving faster economic indicators and better decision making. But first, Parkinson's UK has been running a campaign called Get It On Time, aimed at improving access to treatment on the NHS. I recently met with Amanda Davis, Head of Data Architecture, to talk about the charity's data strategy, the challenges around supporter and research data, and how resolving them will help to find a cure and change attitudes. I'm Amanda Davis. I'm Head of Data Architecture at Parkinson's UK. Amanda, first of all, can you outline for our audience what the data strategy is for Parkinson's and how you're working to deliver it? Sure. Um, Well, like many organisations, the data strategy is evolving. In organisational terms, the original ambition was to um, succeed in a digital transformation. Uh, And a couple of years ago, the organisation brought in some heavyweights from the digital community to to kickstart that. And there was a very quick, very quick, there was very quickly a realisation that this also required a transformation or definitely some changes on the data side as a key component for successful delivery of the digital transformation. Along with that, um, there was an exploration of what it would mean to to develop our digital maturity and data maturity. Um, GDPR coming along was it was a huge benefit really in that regard in that it forced um, senior level attention onto the data world um, and, and of course like everybody else we, we changed our ways and implemented new new processes. Um, we, we have a, a a DPO, a data board, Um, we've um, adopted data standards and we've developed lots of policies and procedures. Um, So in that regard, we've been developing um, our attitudes with a view to mitigating our risk rather than deriving value from our data assets. And then um, two senior data roles were created this year. to drive this forward. One was my role, one was a head of data strategy role. Um, And the focus to date has been really on data management and governance, still very much in that risk mitigation area. Um, At the same time, we have a new um, CIO who's brought with him a wealth of experience in latest technologies, and we're having a bit of a a radical transformation there. accompanying the digital transformation and the ways of working that we have. So there's a huge amount of excitement about the new technologies and what you can do with them. Um, The digital transformation has brought an influx of of young, talented, digital millennials for the main part who, who are a completely different breed to the kind of people who've been working with the technology for many years here. Got... um, a huge grand vision um, of where we want to get to um, but we haven't really got it right in the foundation so what we what we're trying to do is is to up our game on the on the data defense type of strategy on, on the governance creating single customer view creating standards managing quality all that side of things whilst at the same time trying to keep some of that excitement about the new technologies and where we could eventually end up. We 
have to kind of match our resources to deliver BAU at the same time as trying to make improvements, but also make a step change. What sorts of data do you have access to then? And um, what are the particular complexities or challenges around it? We have a CRM system, a core CRM system, like many charities. We have one of the main platforms that we've had for many years. Um, We also have evolved from having one central repository to specialist um, applications. So we have specialist application for volunteer management. We have a specialist application brought in just this year for for case management. So cases to us mean people who ring our helpline um, for advice and support in living with Parkinson's or or helping or being part of the immediate network of somebody who's living with Parkinson's who has the diagnosis. Um, But also the, um, the, the case management tool is now available to all our local advisors. So we're very, we're very much a, um, a regional organisation. We, we have hundreds of advisors out in the regions dealing with, with people calling them and asking for some sort of assistance or interacting with them through email. Um, and the move from individual notes to an electronic system for recording those interactions this year has been uh, something of a journey for the organisation. So that that data actually still exists completely separately. Um, And there's an awful lot of data we don't hold centrally either around our branches. We have nearly 400 branches. Um, Whilst we know for the branches who the um, post holders are, we don't know all the activities um, that they are involved in with other people and there's a huge amount of information relating to the people they work with that is outside the scope of what gets managed formally by the national organisation. On top of that we have um, research data, research data sets um, because we do an awful lot of um, work with scientific community in our drive to find a cure for Parkinson's. that data is quite restricted in terms of access. We um, we're very excited by some initiatives looking at um, clinical trials into different um, pharmaceuticals, which in future will we'll look at the um, interconnectedness or the uh, the effect of um, multiple pharmaceutical interventions on um, treatment for Parkinson's, um, but. All those data sets are, are very firmly ring-fenced. There's no way we could, for example, run a hackathon on, on those, those research data sets, um, although you know, they are extremely rich um, and it would be fantastic for a data scientist to dive into, but we rely on our, um, uh, our funding partners and scientific community um, partners to do that for us. Very different data architectures for the, across those two types as well, I'd imagine. Yes, yes, completely. And, and of course, um, you know, the sensitivity of the data is an issue as well and, and ensuring that it is um, anonymised. So, so, so a lot of the um, ana- huge pots of data which are available for analysis are actually um, non-personalised. As well as that main CRM database and the volunteers, we've also got a database of people who assist our um, influencing campaigns and we have people who have pledged to make us a legacy gift in their 
will. We do record people's what we call proximity to Parkinson's. So that tells us how um, close they are to, to the cause. And we find that an awful lot of our supporters are have a family member or are a carer uh, for somebody living with Parkinson's or they have Parkinson's themselves or they know somebody who has Parkinson's. So we record that data and of course that is sensitive data. Generally people will only support Parkinson's if, if they've had some experience or know somebody's had some experience of it. Um, and that's why for us maximising the journey from the very first contact is so important. It's really important to us because, because we don't attract the casual donor um, and our audience is, is limited. So once they've said hi by putting their hand up, it's really important that we nurture them and manage that relationship. You mentioned you have a new CIO. How would you describe the level of data literacy within the organisation overall? And how do you think this compares with the fundraising sector in general? We all strive for it to be higher than it is. Um, we have um, set ourselves a, an OKR, um, an objective key result, relating to our new five-year strategy, which we're about to embark on for 2020 to 2024. Um, and... Um, that ambition is for all organisational and strategic decisions to be data informed. So we've got to explore exactly how we're going to achieve that. But the data informed bit of it is an acknowledgement of the fact that we know we have huge gaps in our data. And also we know we have huge expertise and, and knowledge um, that we can't, you can't, we can't ignore, we can't just say we'll only make a data-driven decision even if we've only got a tiny little data set we'll ignore you know all your knowledge of 20 years working in this area but we're striving to be data informed I say it's, a, it's a very nicely defined distinction which recognizes the reality of where you're at yes I think um I think we were we were quite happy to get to that sort of compromise um and uh, and also, you know, acknowledge the value of all, all the people, all the knowledge that they have. It, it's about getting insights which drive action from the data. We do very much acknowledge that there are two precursors to that. One is the data lifecycle management and adopting active management of that data lifecycle. There's also a big need to remove our information language barriers um, so that the business and technology communities um, can talk to each other meaningfully. Supporters and donors of charities are always interested to know if the funding is going to, as it were, the front line. Data analytics tend to be invisible resources as far as those supporters and donors are concerned. How do you communicate the positive impact that it can have? Well, I don't think it's just an issue for people externally. It's certainly internally, it's an issue as well. What, what's that cost centre doing? What are all those people doing down there? And, and what value do they deliver? So you can present um, case studies of, well, we did this and uh, analysis, and as a result, we did X, and the benefit was, was that. But even so, that's quite hard to impress people with because they expect you to be doing it anyway, and they expect it to just happen. They don't think there's anything particularly wonderful about 
those insights. They kind of expect you to be on the ball. So um, how can the positive impact be communicated? I find that really, it is a really difficult question to answer. Actually, it's part of a bigger question about all operating costs. You know, data and analytics is one part of um, fundraising service delivery, but fundraising in itself is always questioned. You know, what's the return on investment for, for pound for pound for fundraising activity? And then there's kind of well, what's the what's the whole cost of having an office you know why is your office in a certain location many years ago I worked at another charity which not that many years previously had been entirely run by volunteers um as that charity had grown paid staff had, had been taken on by the time I joined everybody was paid um, but there was still a lot of supporters a lot of people on the board of trustees who still question why professional skills were were needed and why we were paying for these things. So looking ahead a little bit, health and well-being are major use cases for the next wave of data-driven innovation, such as artificial intelligence. Do you anticipate being part of how these new techniques will improve the lives of people with health conditions? Yes, very much so. As I mentioned before, we're embarking on a new five-year strategy, um, which has five themes within it. Um, one of them is um, transforming Parkinson's together um, and um, maximising the potential of digital and um, other technology tools is, is a key component of that. Um, we're still working out exactly what aspects of that we might be um, utilising um, but in, in the same way as the data strategy is kind of a mix of let's get the basics right, but let's try and keep that excitement about what could be and let's keep doing a few little things um, around those exciting things to kind of keep keep the flag flying. We're doing the same um, in digital, if, if I'm not being um, disrespectful to, to digital, but what, what I'm saying that is because um, as well as all the great strides forward they've, they've made in, in terms of um, improving our website and the way we work with um, all our products digitally, we've also, we've also had a, a trial with a machine learning exercise um, and um, certainly the research colleagues are, are very embedded in discussions about AI and um, how, how that can be utilised within the, um, the range of options for treatment for the disease, but also um, improving the life and well-being of people who are living with, with Parkinson's. If you want to get involved with that work, you can find more information at parkinsons.org.uk. And now, the Office for National Statistics, or ONS, is responsible for creating the data sets that are used to inform government planning and decision-making. Two years ago, it recognised the new opportunities arising from data and analytics and set up the ONS Data Science Campus. I caught up with its managing director, Tom Smith, to find out what the vision is for the campus and the impact it has been making. I'm the director of the Data Science Campus at the UK's Office for National Statistics. So the Office for National Statistics, or ONS, is the, the part of the UK government that is responsible for publishing data on and statistics on the economy, so things like GDP, 
inflation rates, prices and so on, um, but also population. So we run the census, so that's probably the biggest thing we do every 10 years, uh, how many people live in each area of the country, and that's used then for allocating cash from government to build schools, pay, pay for GPs and hospital services and so on, so fundamental stuff. So that's what ONS does. We provide really the fabric, the national infrastructure around data and statistics. Um, and really the, the, the campus sort of evolved out of that and a challenge from the outs, from an external review by Charles Bean, who at the time was the, the deputy governor of the Bank of England and then economics professor in LSE, um, was really a big challenge to ONS about how to step up and go faster in terms of how you understand the economy particularly um, and essentially making sure that we had the skills and capability within ONS and across government to use the data sources that are now available. So the digital world, the sorts of data that we know and love from lots of different sources are the sorts of things that can help us tell, say something more about the economy. And then there was a second drive, which came from John Pullinger, who was the national statistician at the time, and um, Heather Savory, who was the deputy national statistician, um, to really build our internal skill set and capability. Because fundamentally, there's nothing hotter in data and statistics than data science and machine learning at the moment. So the challenge internally was really how do we make capital, make, make real difference for ONS and for government using data science skills. So that was where the campus came from. Um, we launched in March 2017, so we've been going just over two years. Um, we've published on our, 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 on our website our two-year review of progress, um, which really kind of shows how we're getting started. And so one of our asks our objectives from John Bullinger and Heather at the start were explore new and novel sources of data. Tell us what we can learn from those. Do they have value and potential? Um, do they add to what we know about the economy? Um, and one of the first pieces of work we looked at in this was, was starting to look at something from global shipping GPS data. So every ship in the world basically updates its position every two and three seconds if it's above a certain size and if it's, if it's moving. Um, that comes into a very interesting data set. If you're interested in things like imports, exports, and you can start using that. It's clearly a big data source. There's a lot of data there. It's quite messy and noisy in lots of different ways. Um, and it's a very interesting one. It's one that statisticians in government hadn't really got their heads around in terms of economic indicators. So we did a first pilot project to look at this data source which involved in you know, lots, lots, lots of piece of work or published on the blog and so on. Um, over time, we kind of really got to the stage where actually this does add to what we know. And we now publish a monthly rapid indicator of the economy using this shipping GPS data, um, which has been running now for six months. So we're starting to get a longer to, uh, a trend. It looks like it works and it matches against imports and exports for the UK. It's faster in terms of we can produce it more rapidly than other measures and other data sources. So it gives people like the Bank of England, Mark Carney and the Monetary Policy Committee something extra to look at in terms of what is happening in the economy. What are the trends and patterns? So it's an, all, an early heads up indicator, if you like. Um, we're now exploring whether we can move to weekly because we do have this very fine grained timely data that we can use where we have processing platforms set up to now use and make use of this. Something else totally different, we also look at building skills and capability. Um, and one of the, the areas there that we've looked at um, is cross-government. So together with the Government Digital Service, GDS, and the Government Office for Science, that's Go Science, we run what's called the Government Data Science Partnership. 
And out of that, we run a mentoring program across government called the Data Accelerator, um, where any analyst or data science or statistician within government can bid in to a central run um, uh, so program and basically get three months of mentoring a day from their normal t t day jobs, if you like, a day out a week, um, to really focus on this. Um, and then support of using tools of data science and so on, and mentoring from any part of government. So it's this great way of building skills, of solving or tackling some of the really kind of tough challenges that analysts across government have got, and then also building this community. So I think it's a great thing. We're very pleased the, 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 to be able to support this and kind of help push this one forward with GDS and GoScience. What turns out to be harder? Lots of things. Um, like every big organisation, working government is, uh, you need to spend a lot of time working out what's going on and linking into other people's work programmes. You can't, you're not working in a, it's not a start-up in the sense of you can do anything because nothing else is being done in this organisation. There are lots of people doing really interesting things already. And that for me was probably the first kind of biggest learning from joining government in, back in 2017 to, to, to work at the campus was that you, there is so much stuff going on and the level of collaboration across government is so huge. And certainly in terms of professional working in data science, this was something that was eye-opening to me. So it was a real, it's a, a great thing and a great challenge to keep abreast of all of those things that are going on. Tell me a little bit about the culture within the campus itself and how important it is to create that you know, right mood and, and develop those ways of working? We took a lot of inspiration from the early days of the government digital service. I've mentioned them a couple of times before. And I think what they really successfully did when they launched, I think in 2011 or so, was change the narrative around government and civil service ability to do technology and do technical piece work, in this case around digital, very well. So to have them build the skill set within governments, a mixture of recruitment, a mixture of skills building, um, to really instigate and instill some of the practices of how you work. So the idea, you know, user-led, agile, rapid working, and so on, things that are kind of fairly standard in, in delivery teams in, in lots of other sectors. Um, GDS helped move that and change that needle or move that dial if you like we took a lot of inspiration from that so we felt we were building a delivery team in data science so we had to learn from and draw from the digital side but we also had to learn and draw from the huge amount of expertise in terms of statisticians and stats across government so we're not just doing digital products we're also thinking very hard about how do you do robust analysis if you're interested in a data source like satellite imagery and you're trying to think about well how do I improve my measures of environmental strength and what local environments are like or how green particular areas are how do I use satellite imagery to do that well there are lots of techniques that are quite interesting and in data science you know lots of, sort of deep learning type things but then you've got a question about how do I show that my results are robust it's really important to us that we recruited from externally so I joined from industry and from, from forming a, a spin-out from a university. Um, we took a lot of our uh, team, came in from industry groups, so about a third of our data scientists, um, particularly were, were, were 
recruiter from industry, about a third from academia as well, because there's a lot of expertise there, obviously, but there's a lot of interest in how you apply these tools. Um, but then really critically, we had to keep and build straight links with within government. So it wasn't about a totally new skill set that you just bring in from outside. We also wanted to recruit from inside government. So about a third of our team is civil service, and particularly in the capability skills building team. And um, that's really important. It's really helped us kind of land a lot of our work and projects. Do you then also have a, a skills and development program so that people continue to develop uh, mm. as data scientists or people who want to skill up into that domain? So many of our team, we see people coming in for one, two, three years and then rolling on. And that's great. We've definitely got that model that you want extra. Someone coming from industry sees working government on data science problems as a really exciting option, maybe for forever or maybe just for a couple of years. But either way, what you've done is you've brought in some great skills and then if they go back out again, they're going to be an ambassador. They're going to talk to their colleagues and they say, you know what? Work, go and work at the data science cameras, go and work in government. There's some great stuff going on. You'll learn a lot. You'll try some, some of your skills on really big problems and challenges. So I think that kind of idea of, of, of movement and, and borrowing is a great one. Um, you talk about kind of how do we build skills and how do we recruit and so on from that. There's a, so probably one, about something like 40% of the, 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 the energy across the campus is on our capability and knowledge exchange group. And I've mentioned... The, the mentoring program across governments that we run under the Government Data Science Partnership. But we also look at a range of programs to build skills that really start from apprenticeships onwards. And so this was something I was really excited by when I first joined, that we just started our first cohort of apprentices joining from outside, um, some of them straight from school, many of them from local area, um, and on a two-year vocational data science program, which is just brilliant. Because data science, there's a lot of theory and there's a lot of work, but actually the practical application is critical. And you know this, and many commercial groups run from graduate through to data science, practicing data science. And we wanted to do that through an apprenticeship program. We've run that successfully. Um, it now operates at a degree level. So we run a, um, a three-year degree level apprenticeship, vocational again. And what we found is that there's a mixture of kind of practical of, of training and then six months on tours of duty around ONS and indeed some other government departments. And the first cohort of that, all of them got jobs before the end of the rotations. And some of them were, got jobs with the groups who didn't want to lose them. So there's this great kind of example of just you bring great people in at any level and you give them the skills to have an impact in their teams. And across our organisation, people just wanted more. So that was a lovely thing to see. Um, there's lots more we're doing on skills building. We have a, a master's programme. We run um, training and courses on particularly data science and machine learning across governments. So I think more than 600 government analysts since um, 2018 on that. Um, we sponsor people to undertake a master's in data analytics for governments. And we have a joint PhD programme, particularly on economic data science with the Turing Institute, Alan Turing Institute. There's lots and lots of things we're doing about skill, skills building. It's very much that kind of bringing people in plus building up and growing your own skills. Data and statistics are critical to governmental decision making. So are there any examples of innovations that have gone live and are having an impact? Faster indicators that we publish 
that use business VAT data. So these are company-level returns that are shared from another part of government, the tax group, HMRC, um, and we produce statistics based on these. Now, we don't see any of the individual company data, and we're not interested in that. We're only interested in the, the path, broad patterns. So how, as a whole, is a sector performing? Is income and costs going up, down? What does profit look like? That kind of thing. So we have some very interesting indicators and coming out of that. You also have things like behavioural patterns, so are people filing earlier or later in the month, that kind of thing. Um, the other part of that is, is using road traffic sensors, so looking at movement of goods and vehicles around the country. So I think there are 10,000 sensors, which we have a not quite real-time readout on, but pretty good. And again, we get a very up-to-date publication from those. So those are the sort of, um, I think, kind of straightforward examples there's probably something more also of real interest. So we publish as ONS a lot of stats and data. Anything that the campus can do to help that is a great thing. But then we're also really interested in operations. So many industry groups, the data science team, will be fundamentally looking at operational aspects. Um, so we're similarly interested in that. And one of the examples for that is, is coming up in the census work. So the UK census happens to be 10 years. It's a huge, huge deal. Um, I think the, the full, you know, it's, it's not a billion pound programme, but it's getting that way. And when you're spending that kind of money, you really, really, really need to make sure that you're getting a good return on investments. So there's a lot of work and energy that goes into that. So how is this data being used and so on? But you also need to make sure you've got all the, the pipelines and the processing and, and the field work and so on is absolutely as optimised and so on as it can be. So one of the things we've been producing here is synthetic data of what the sense, new census will look like at individual level. Now, this is f made-up data. It's, it's generated using various um, methods from generative adversarial networks through to much simpler things. Um, but what you can get once you produce that synthetic data is you can then test your processing pipelines and say, OK, have we got our error capturing techniques? Are they running? Can we actually process, process this you know, in a couple of seconds or is it going to totally clog up the system? So it's great operational stuff. And what that means is that's helped the ONS teams doing the census rehearsal, which is ongoing now, um, and to, to check that they have all of the processing up and running for that. Going back to the start of this, of this conversation, we... We were very much tasked with by, by, by our national statistician at the time with working out what was going on, what was the sort of state of the art in terms of data science in commercial areas. And part of that was recruiting from commerce and part of that was recruiting from academia so that we knew that we had the, 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 the academic chops and rigour to, 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 to tackle the sorts of techniques that we're interested in. Um, but part of it was partnering with, with groups particularly those with, with, with interesting data. So we've gone through a kind of number of conversations on that. And one of the pieces which we were working on, I think is really interesting, is joint work with the Barclays team. Um, so this is led by John Hussey at, at Barclays. Um, and it's really kind of a joint piece between the campus and John's team, looking at can we produce or understand, produce indicators or understand local economies using the sorts of transaction data that Barclays is obviously uh, processing for it on behalf of its users or its customers. Um, again, we're not interested in the individual details. It's only patterns at sector level or local area and so on. 
and over time. So what we really want to do is say, well, can we, for example, run analysis on those transactions without ever seeing them? Um, so that's what we've got up and running, um, and we're bringing that to a conclusion this autumn, so pretty close to having uh, um, initial exploratory data and stats live from that. Um, it's really interesting because that's obviously hugely rich data. It's not data that we're looking to, that we're going to collect because clearly I'm a customer, I'm a citizen, you know, I want to know very much about how my data and financial transactions were being used. But in terms of the social good, the public good, if we can have a way of analysing it without revealing any, sharing any sensitive details, but getting value from it, then that's really exciting. Since recording that interview, Tom and his team have been shortlisted for the Civil Service Awards Science and Innovation category. And you can find out more about the first two years of the Data Science Campus at datasciencecampus.ons.gov.uk. More links to blogs about its initiatives can be found on the webpage hosting this podcast. So that's it for another episode. If you liked it, please link, like and share. And until the next time, goodbye.